Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle and this is the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. This week, our woman of the week was one who was considered to be almost a psychic, predicting the deaths of people around her with astounding accuracy. And it turns out this was almost a little too accurate. I figured she'd be perfect for the month of October because Halloween is right around the corner and what's better for this amazingly spooky season and then covering some pretty spooky people. Our woman of the week is Otilly Tilly Klemek and she was born on October 22nd, 1877 in Poland. She was originally born Teofila Guberek and her parents were Michalina and Michael Guberek. She was the oldest of seven and when she was four years old, her family immigrated to the United States. It was then that her name seemed to change from Teofila to Otilly. Once in the U.S., she and her family settled in what was known as the Little Poland section of Chicago. Now, we don't know a ton about Tilly's childhood. We do know that she was seemingly happily married to one Joe Mitkiewicz sometime around 1895. They settled down not too far from where she grew up in Little Poland and were described as being well-liked and generous by their neighbors. This was where Tilly ended up being known for her great cooking skills and for her apparently psychic abilities. Apparently, she would claim to see these so-called visions in her dreams. In them, she'd be shown the image of people or animals nearby who were doomed to die. And what a coincidence it was that those who showed up as doomed to die in her so-called visions were actually the neighbors she argued with and stray dogs that annoyed her. In 1914, Tilly told neighbors and friends that she'd had a new and horrible vision. This time, her husband Joe would get sick and die within a few weeks. And on January 13, 1914, Joe died of heart trouble as diagnosed by the coroner. Tilly then collected $1,000 in life insurance. Not too long after, in February of 1914, Tilly was married again to a man named Joseph Ruskowski. And it wasn't too long after their marriage that Joseph, who'd been extremely healthy and hadn't had any history of severe illness, started to get sick. In May, she began to tell the same story, that she'd started having dreams featuring Joseph's death. Sure enough, he died on May 20th, 1914. He left Tilly $1,200 in cash and $722 in life insurance. And I don't know the conversion rate from early 1900s currency to now, but I'm sure that back then, that was a lot of money. Once again, Tilly didn't mourn for long at all. She took refuge with a new man, Joseph Guzikowski. He had a sweet tooth along with his sister, and they would oftentimes share candy that Tilly had bought for them. This didn't last long, though, because Joseph died suddenly, and his sister Stella became extremely sick as well. She ended up surviving, but after Joseph's death, Tilly married another man named Frank Kubskik in March 1919. They moved into a house on Winchester Avenue in Chicago, and funnily enough, Tilly had actually lived there before with another man who was known as Myers. Now, what happened to Myers, you may be asking? Well, he just disappeared. Out of the blue, completely vanished. Which is weird, right? Well, the neighbors seemed to think so too, because they asked how long Tilly and her new husband were planning on staying there, only to have Tilly assure them that this time, he, quote, wouldn't live long. And soon enough, Frank's health started to decline. She would taunt Frank 
by telling him, quote, it'll be any day now. Neighbors were asked about this, and when they asked, she told them, quote, he has two inches to live. As he got sicker and sicker, Tilly asked him to take out a life insurance policy, which he did. At this point, Tilly saw that there was an advertisement for a $30 coffin, and she bought it. She then asked the landlady to store the casket in the basement, which is probably the most morbid thing that you could do. The landlady agrees with me, apparently, and told Tilly that she would chase her and the coffin out if she showed up with one. Soon, Frank began to slip in and out of consciousness. Tilly would sit by his side, knitting a black hat with lace around the trim. When her husband was awake, she would tell him that this was the hat that she would wear to his funeral. Frank died on April 20th, 1921, and Tilly was seemingly ecstatic. The coroner said that bronchial pneumonia was Frank's cause of death, and Tilly collected a life insurance policy of $675. So it seems weird, right? Men kept marrying her, they all died when she said they would, and yet somehow she still found men who were willing to marry her, and this didn't seem to be brought up to the police at all. And it's not like she wasn't well-known at this point. She was kind of an urban legend, both for her passion for cooking and for the fact that she had this uncanny ability to predict the deaths of those around her. Her last husband, whose name she'd end up keeping, was Joseph Klimek. They got married on July 30th, 1921, and Joseph was extremely wealthy. Tilly had finally found a man who was able to provide her with a life that she thought she deserved. And although he was able to provide a life that she enjoyed, Tilly found that he had problems she didn't think she could live with. He enjoyed moonshine too much for her taste, and he also had reportedly an appetite for other women. Tilly complained about this to her cousin, who suggested that they get a divorce. According to her cousin Nellie, Tilly said that instead she would, quote, find another way to get rid of him. At Tilly's insistence, Joseph ended up taking out a life insurance policy. Soon after he did, Joseph started to get sick. At first, Joseph wrote it off, but after six weeks of getting worse and worse, he went to see his doctor. At that point, his legs were paralyzed and he barely had use of his arms. Now, Joseph's doctor saw that his symptoms were the same as those who'd suffered from poisoning and had him tested. The tests came back positive for arsenic, and Joseph was told he'd been suffering from long-term arsenic toxicity. When asked, Joseph remembered that there had been a stray dog who showed up dead not long after Tilly fed it, and how she'd recently begun giving him soup that tasted strange. Now, it was at this point that hospital officials called the police and the police arrested Tilly. The arresting officer was a man named Lieutenant Willard Malone, and he remembers that as he took her in, she told him, quote, the next one I want to cook dinner for is you. You made all of my troubles. When she was taken in, she was interrogated for around 18 hours before confessing, giving details such as where she got the poison and a longer list of her victims. Her cousin Nellie, who was the one that suggested that she and Joseph get a divorce, had actually been the one to provide her with the poison. And it was a mix of soot and arsenic called Rough on Rats. The bodies of Tilly's dead husbands were exhumed and were found to have lethal amounts of arsenic. Both Tilly and Nellie were put on trial with a judge, Marcus Cavanaugh, who was a big fan of the death penalty. At the trial, Tilly wore the same black hat that she had knit by her dying husband's bedside. This was noted, and when asked about it, she just shrugged. The prosecutors would go through it and list the names of the people that they were investigating, and they would pause after each name to ask her, did you kill this person? Tilly's response was to shrug and say, yeah. 
and the list ended up being close to 20 names long. So here is a list as printed by the Chicago Tribune on March 14th, 1923, as to the supposed victims of Tilly Klimek. So first was Joseph Mitkowicz, her first husband. The second is Joseph Roskowski, her second husband. Third is Frank Kubsik, her third husband. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, um, but it's K-U-P-S-Z-Y-K. So if anyone does know the correct way for me to pronounce that, please let me know. The fourth death she's associated with is Joseph Grantkowski, an ex-boyfriend who died in 1914 after quote-unquote jilting her. There was a cousin of hers who's listed as number five, Miss Rose Chudzinski, who died after attending Tilly and Frank's wedding party in 1919. Another cousin, Helen Z-A-K-R-Z-E-W-S-K-I, so Zakarzewski, Zakarzewski, died in 1915 at age 15. Another cousin of hers, Stanley, and his sister are listed as seven and eight. Stanley died at age 16 in 1912, and Stell died in 1913 at age 23. Now, apparently, Tilly was the one who was caring for them when they were all getting sick. So there's also listed at number nine, the mayor's person we talked about who is missing. Um, And then number 10 is Wojcik Strummer, the first husband of Nellie Kulik, which is the cousin that provided the poison to Tilly. He died in 1918 of arsenic. The next person is Dorothy Spera, who's the granddaughter of Miss Kulik, and Sophie Sturmer, the daughter of Miss Kulik. So these next victims are associated more with Nellie than Tilly. So it's interesting that Tilly was the one to have all the blame lie on her for these victims when it very well could have been Nellie. So Dorothy, Sophie, and Ben were the granddaughter and then children of Nellie who all died. And then we've got Wojcik, who was Nellie's husband, who died in 1918. Number 14 is Joseph Klimek, who was Tilly's husband, who was poisoned but ended up recovering. The next, number 15, is John Sturmer, who was the son of Nellie, who actually claimed that his mother was the one to poison him. Now, Rose split was given candy by Tilly after Joseph Klimek talked to her and claimed to have been feeling sick. Now, same with Stel Grinkowski, who was the one we mentioned earlier, who got sick after eating candy that was given to her by Tilly, and apparently they'd had a fight, which is why Tilly gave her the candy. Nick Miko was a cousin who got sick of arsenic but ended up recovering. Number 19 is Bessie Kupzizik, who was Tilly's husband, Frank, sister-in-law, Um, who got sick after eating at Tilly's and then recovered. And then the last name listed is Lillian Sturmer, who was 15 and Nellie's daughter. So she ended up getting sick because of the food that Nellie cooked for her and still suffered heart trouble even after recovering. Now, in that list, it seems we have a good healthy mix of both Nellie and Tilly's victims. But what's strange is Tilly was the one who was put on trial and connected to these different murders, even though she was only charged officially for one. In March 1923, Tilly was actually found guilty for the murder of Frank Kubskik. Yeah, once again, I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. The trial took about a year, and both Tilly and her cousin Nellie shared a cell. Every time Nellie would be taken from the cell, Tilly would taunt her by saying, quote, they're going to hang you today. But Nellie's trial actually ended in a hung jury, and she was acquitted. So it's interesting to see that it seems like Nellie's victims were pushed onto Tilly, almost as a way to just kind of get this whole thing done and over with. 
And Tilly didn't seem to really mind that at all. She didn't try and offer up words in her defense. At the trial, her only response to the verdict was to say that the courtroom felt warm when the guards led her out to prison. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole, which was the harshest sentence to ever be dealt with to a woman in Chicago at that time. She was 60 years old when she died in prison at Illinois State Penitentiary on November 3rd, 1936. And that is the story of America's so-called psychic poisoner, Tilly Klimek. Her story is really interesting because I definitely feel like her cousin Nellie played a way bigger part than a lot of people realize, or at least give her credit to. But when you search up, Tilly is the one who is claimed to be the one who murdered all these people. Nellie only comes up in terms of the fact that she was the one who provided her poison. It's just an interesting sign of the times that back then they were more interested on just kind of, it seems, more interested on just kind of blowing the whole thing over and charging Tilly and then dropping it and letting it kind of just be done versus going through two different trials for each of the victims. That concludes our story of Tilly Klimek. I would love to know what you guys think of it. Feel free to reach out to me at Frumious Reads on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, basically anywhere on social media. That's F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S. If you want to keep up with the podcast, you can go to frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair. That's kind of like the podcast homepage for everything murder related. Or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Libsyn, Podbreed, basically anywhere you can listen to podcasts. The references used for this episode are a Mental Floss article about the eight sensational female murderers in history. We've also got the Murderpedia entry about Tilly Klimek and an article on Medium.com called The Strange Murders of Tilly Klimek. Like I said, I'd love to know what you think of this episode, so please feel free to reach out or let me know if you have any ideas on who should be our next murderess of the week. That's all I have for you guys this week. Stay spooky, friends, and I'll talk to you later. Goodbye.